Hi, everybody. Welcome to Outspoken. I am your host, Justin White. This is episode 51, and my guest this week is my friend Jim. Um, He's a relatively new friend. I met him through my friend Cy, who you might know from episode 41. Um, And he's a really great guy. We had really, we'd only spoken one time before at any length, and it was at a gathering, so there wasn't we weren't able to achieve the same kind of depth that you can one-on-one, but we did this time. So, um, it was nice. It was a really nice talk. And, um, I think we should just get right into it. Uh, but first this piece of flattened copper asked me to transport it up the street. And, um, so I was about to pick it up and then it said, no, the rule book says that it has to be kicked. So, um, even though it seemed a little bit aggressive and violent to me, I decided I'd just do it because he wanted to get up the street. So here we go. And then we'll talk to Jim. Yeah, but she was also a practicing Jew. So it was also like this weird amalgamation of traditions that, were shouldn't have been supportive of of each other, so to speak, but kind right. of ended up. But she she mashed them together. She and mashed them together. Happen. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and, and felt good doing it. Like she wasn't. She didn't feel. I think it felt good doing it. I think she felt like she was uh, keeping up with, a, a, you know, a, a compromise in herself that worked. That's great. And um, I wish we could apply that to religions in general. I agree. Just yeah, like put course. any two together and say, look, there's enough similarity. Ecumenical, you know. right? Yeah. Like that, that's a big theme in my 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 household. Is my it? Yeah. You have a. You come from different backgrounds. Well, my dad and... is is um, uh, old school Pennsylvania Dutch. Like his family goes back to like the seventeen. I think the seventeen forties. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, in in uh, central PA in Reading, Pennsylvania, and wow. um, and so his background religiously is like Lutheran and Dutch Reform and um, uh, Mennonite, um, I believe, or at least Dutch Reform and, and Mennonite on different sides. And so that you know, just classically German Protestant um, background, and yet his <clears throat> his father was like a, a, a probably an an atheist or a agnostic, I'm not sure which, and uh, a super liberal progressive in the, in the 1930s. So they weren't defined very much by a particular religion, but there was definitely an ethos Mm -hmm. there of like Protestant frugality and um, tight lippedness and, um, you know, uh, uh, how how did that come? Asceticism. How did that, (laughs) how did that show up in your dad? Like what was your experience? He's he's still that way. Uh, he, yeah, he's, um, he is a, a a very conservative spender. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's, it's benefited him very well over time, but it is, also uh, quite idiosyncratic in its effects and um, not not quite a, a good model mm-hmm. <laughs> for behavior that um, <clears throat> I took with me. And I have a very different, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of much more of an impulsive spender. 
Do you think it's? Place. Do you think that was reactionary? That was like a. I do to a certain degree, but it also just seems to be a, a very early disposition. Like my sister is actually very much like him in in the sense that she's even when she was a little kid and we had an allowance of some kind, she saved every penny. Mm-hmm. I spent every penny. I mean, yeah. it was just like uh, I I think that it's something to do with impulsiveness and and uh, um, probably that thing they do with kids with the marshmallow test. Have you ever? heard of that i i have but i can't remember it's it. something you, like you... they they put a marshmallow in front of a, a kid and kids maybe like five years old or something okay. and they you can have they, this now you can have this now or you can wait five minutes and have, have two. two of them yeah and so they sort of absorb this this large swath of data and um, um i would have been the kid who ate the marshmallow right away i Me would have too. had a lot of difficulty saying no to that me too so um i probably would have thought i could eat that now and still find a way to get another one later <laughs> you know like i i just ha- i probably had some scheme in mind like if yeah. another interviewer comes in i could probably convince them that i had waited the five you know right right i was that's wow. the kind of i was impulsive and scheming yeah, working the system a little yeah. bit. yeah but i also great. had my dad was also a very conservative spender at least as it came you know when it came to yeah. us what was his background uh well education wise it was architecture and sociology and <laughs> philosophy okay and i think he had a couple he had a couple majors and a couple minors and and then yeah. he got in i think later got an mba hmm. he kind of he was kind of he did a lot of stuff but uh, but design and and like landscape design and gardening is really his thing wow that's, that's his love gardening is his true love wow is he still alive he is, yeah. yeah. He's in San Rosa. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, close by, so you get to see him. Uh, we could, we could see one another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's funny you said sociology because my dad uh, got his master's in sociology from Columbia, and and he, I, I think that that's not, um, uh, what, um, incidental either. Uh-uh. There yeah. seems to be this meta um but concrete way of thinking that he has that is very distinctive um and he's on one hand extremely concrete mm-hmm. in his in his like like just logical and yeah deliberate like, and... like he splits hairs over uh, tiny syntactical or okay. grammatical mm-hmm. nuances like while you're speaking to him. Uh-huh. Um, he also got very involved with computers back in the sixties. So a lot of that kind of precision with language is very important to him. Okay. My dad was an architect. That oh, was, yeah, that's where God. his precision stuff went. <laughs> um, yeah. And also like, so, but there's there, that concreteness, but the, also there's this sort of distant meta, looking at things through the wrong end of the telescope kind of thinking yeah, too. Yep. I know what you mean. Um, and, and both my sister and I, I think, um, absorbed a lot of that. And I actually am kind of grateful for it because we, we grew up in a, in a way that was very, in a way like self-conscious of like looking at our circumstances or the world around us and being able to have a little bit of detachment and try to see things in terms of patterns that people exhibit or, just just for example my i was talking about religion before and my dad um did not have a a religious affiliation of any kind 
um, and had sort of practiced or tried different things over time and would probably have even, even when he was younger, regarded himself as an agnostic or maybe even an atheist back then. But he, um, he really believed in the social, uh, uh, the social conditions that organized religion presents to people are, are really positive. He really believed that like belonging to a religious community of some kind was very valuable okay. and encouraged us to do that. Not with the idea of having faith in something, not with the idea of even a moral or ethical center or anything like that. Uh, it was more about like the value that you have and having a community that's stable but, like that is is incredibly important. I think that from his sociological look at things that he could affirm that okay yeah but did he allow that other there were other versions of that did he let like could you have some other community that didn't exist through i think so sure he he both of my my parents were big joiners okay (laughs) um and and clubs and social organizations and and things like that were always uh valued and regarded and I was always encouraged to be a joiner and I was not mm-hmm. um, to my detriment and benefit. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Did you actively rebel? I didn't, I didn't, I had a lot of social anxiety, I think. And the mm. idea of being a part of some club that I had to join. Um, I mean, I did do it occasionally, but I also didn't like being a part of things necessarily. Okay. Um, what do you what do you think the anxiety was about? Um, I mean, it might not have been anything that anyone else doesn't, but I, f- I was very self-conscious mm-hmm. of feeling very different than people okay. my whole life. I was not, I didn't like sports growing mm-hmm. up. That was a big one. That's a big thing to, you know. Yeah, that'll isolate, isolate you, in, you in certain yeah. communities. And um, <clears throat> I even think that my ability to grasp one of the reasons i think i didn't like sports was i i have some difficulty grasping rules okay like organized systems and patterns of rules that that's are over. something that has existed for you yeah. as, as an issue in the past yeah and i like I, I love board games and i even love card games but I, i'm a terrible <laughs> uh uh competitor because i can never remember rules particularly card games and people huh. get very angry with me I'm about sure, cards yeah. because i cannot well especially card players they're, oh, they're all yeah. about rules right absolutely and so there's i i think that that discouraged me from feeling a part of those things as well and i and i also think that there was a bit of difference a little bit of a disconnect with how my parents grew up and the kind of household they had and a lot of the people that i interacted with as a kid um, my parents were not from Pittsburgh and, and my dad was from all over and my mom was from Detroit and they had met in New York and lived in Boston. And, um, and I think also his sort of liberal or political foundations maybe made me feel like we were a little bit different than a lot of the people were around. I don't know if that's true, but, mm. but it did feel like there was some isolation there 
And I'm sure a lot of it was was then self-perpetuated and for sure, yeah, self-encouraged and yeah, yeah. Once you get on that trip, that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 then you know, I as I became a a preteen or a young boy or an older boy, my interests were even further from I think the mainstream. Mm -hmm. What did Um, you get into? Music? um, I didn't get into music. Um, I I was really into art. I was really into making things and drawing. And um, I did get super into Star Wars when it came out, nice. and that was sort of a great, probably social, you know, segue segue into other social groups and things right. like that. That was something you could join yeah. and feel a part of. Yeah, like participate in this sort of larger thing. But I also had like these weird, like um, very self conscious, conservative social beliefs and things, and. Was, uh, can you give me examples <clears throat> like conservative of what was conservative for that yeah like um i uh really didn't like like pop music and rock music when i was little hmm. like um, little and, like what like what age oh uh, probably ages? up until i was like 11 or 12 okay Maybe like right before I became like a preteen or whatever they called it back then, like be- sort of before middle school or something like that. You were and actually averse to it, like you really. Yeah, and I and I and I used it, I think, as a a, a way of making myself look different. And okay. I I had this this fantasy of being this upper crusty <laughs> kid uh-huh. who like would learn go to a prep school and learn Latin. And like study classical literature or something like I really wow so it was like wanted to be that even though like that was nothing that had no bearing on that had no reality in my life huh. but I think I felt just very much like I had to carve out something that was so different than what other people were doing and it was this very uh, strange thing I really liked a lot of I was kind of an Anglophile as a kid and I loved. Um, uh, um, legends from the British Isles. I love um, Beowulf or you know Western European stuff and mm-hmm. uh, the King Arthur legends and um, and so I really sort of had this fantasy of uh, uh, that somehow being in my backdrop. I uh-huh. don't know. I don't exactly you know a kid's like you were fantasy. a prince somehow or something. A prince like had, or like or you know you like I, some I nobility still, or, or I still have this like great affection for. Um, a, a certain kind of landscape and hmm. um, uh, aesthetic. Like I love your house because it's arts and crafts and um, like on a gut level that appeals to me, but also knowing sort of where this architecture emerged from aesthetically and historically through John Ruskin and like, Ooh. you know, all that stuff and how it's connected to Lord of the Rings. And wow. like, there's this whole kind of backstory with all this stuff that and I And you were really into it. Like you were, you were sort of a student of that stuff at the time? Not, I mean, I mean, I, I a lot of it was a, a pretense. I didn't know all this stuff. Okay. You just liked then. it a lot. I just liked it. And my sister used to make fun of me because I would constantly... There's a lot of like neo-Gothic architecture where I grew up, okay. Um, which I think also felt like that was a backdrop. And mm-hmm. I would say something about I would see a person's jewelry or a ring or a piece of clothing or a, uh, a building, and I would be like, wow, that's really medieval looking. Uh-huh. And my sister 
hated it when I would say that. And she would just, you know, always make fun of me. So I, I she's older. She's older. Yeah. She's three years older. Right. So I, I had this, I, I remember, yeah, I just had this like pseudo conservative, weird facade until I was probably like 12 or 13 that, that made no sense and like fit in nowhere. But um, it do was you, it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. Do you remember it fading, or did you decide to stop doing that, or did oh, something else take over? You know, or? like I, there wasn't a there wasn't a, a game changing moment. I think I grew out of it. Okay. I think that like, um, just just uh, I became more social. Yeah, I was gonna ask if there was like something that you did. Yeah, I, I think I in just real life you know, that changed. I got how you the know it was expanding territory in terms of the music I was listening to the the things I began to read the 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 way I got interested in art and movies and an expanding horizon rather than sort of like a narrowing like constant right. rechanneling yeah of, that's good not I like I, I really believe it today like I'm there's a real danger with kind of like the solipsistic kind of pursuit of the same experience over and over again or the same narrow fixed genre of music or ideology yeah. or you know i agree art um anything if you're narrowing the channel you're you're yeah. narrowing your scope of yeah of everything of life yeah curious about you being your ability to be idle if, if you have anything to say about that if it's oh, a, like a challenge yeah. or well it's 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 actually something i think about a lot um or or degrees of idleness um because i have this theory about 
particularly about creative work. Um, okay. And because uh, I write and I, I um, try to write every day for two or three hours. Wow. And uh, I, I block it out in a very distinct period of time. And I set a timer and write in little 25-minute blocks. Because um, I also I, I teach writing, but I, and I do it remotely. I do it on the computer. So I have to block out time during the day to do that too. Otherwise I'll just write all day long okay. or I'll do other things. But so I, um, I had this idea that I need to recapture a certain kind of idleness that is missing in my life as a older adult. And, um, I, 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 I have a feeling it's a pretty universal desire. I'm totally to find with you this. on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you can, uh, I, I think anyone can empathize with the feeling or many people can empathize at least with the feeling of like when you're even in your twenties and you're, you hang out with your friends, there's this idleness, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think for you and I being of the generation we're from coming over and listening to an album, Right. And just sitting around, maybe you're smoking pot, maybe you're drinking a beer, maybe you're eating chips, maybe you're look flipping through a book or the liner notes. Right. But there's no rush. Talking about girls or you're talking about boys or you're talking about whatever. But there isn't a sense of fragmented time. Right. There's no urgency. There's very no urgency. And then if you think about being a child in that real, real distinctive sense, if you're lucky enough to have had a real childhood of, of an endless moment and um, being able to pursue a, a, a whimsy. Uh-huh. And, you know, as a creative person, I'm sure you must, maybe you understand this to the degree that I'm talking about, but... I get so fixated on my projects that I have to finish um, and they require like such executive function Mm -hmm. to perform and to finish them and to conclude and to then all the business side of everything that there's very little room anymore for the whimsy of spontaneous thought that comes to me that I want to act on or to, um, take an art book off my shelf that's been sitting there and gathering dust and just flip through it and look at images or to take a book of poetry that uh, I I've haven't looked ever looked at, right. you know, and, and begin reading it. And so I have this practice that is, is I'm not exactly succeeding in doing it, but I call it the Sabbath. Okay. And um, in, in all the blocks of time that I set up for my daily routine, you know, as I said, it's, writing it's schoolwork and then i have other things like business which is me attending to emails Mm -hmm. or you know paying bills or whatever it is and then i have errands and chores and um working out uh and so i have all these things on my to-do list and i have this one block that's called sabbath and so sabbath is an hour or two hours or even just a half hour in which i can't do any of those things Mm -hmm. And I have to go on a whim. Okay. And as I said, it could be getting out a, a, a book, a, right. an art book that I haven't looked at in yep. years and flipping through it. Um, it could be uh, writing something wild. It could be drawing for a while. 
it could be taking a walk it could be putting on an album um but giving my giving a formal period of time during the day to experience that window yeah. of idleness and as i said i'm not super successful in making it happen all the time okay but i'm very interested in cultivating that and um i've even like uh, I, I, at some point i want to write an essay about what this means and cultivating it and there are all sorts of pre-epiphanies that i've had about trying to make this happen and, mm -hmm. and um so so the so the philosophy behind it for you is that you have to recapture the whimsy in order to to sort of lose time again or to be is that a is that a <clears throat> I, I think that that's a a um that might be the cart before the horse. I okay. think that that recapturing whimsy is not a, a way in. That's that's one of the effects, perhaps. Okay. But it is about like really setting aside a, t a period of time that's that lets you be idle in some way. I don't know if those are always activities that seem idle, right? But they're definitely outside the realm of everything else. All that the you busy do, stuff, which is what a Sabbath means, right? And yeah, and you do that every day. You try to do it every day, or five uh, days a week, three or days a week. Three days a week. Okay, that's a good. I'm, I'm home three days a week, so I I can. It's when you can do it, carve it out, and it's yeah. on paper. But as I said, maybe one day a week I get to do it. Huh? It's, it's pretty good. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's a, a well. Lot the 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 main the Sabbath that most people talk about is only one day a week. So it is. There you go. Yeah, you don't have to a whole day though. That's true. <laughs> Ideally, well, you're piecing it together. Yeah, and I think up. and and there were a couple of things that that I, 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 I that that lead back to this as well. One was I was living in um, the Tender Knob mm -hmm. for six or seven years in in a studio apartment. Which is the border of Tenderloin, the Tenderloin and Knob Hill. Yes, it was. Know. It was. It was the border of Tenderloin. The, and one Knob of the richest and one of the poorest. That's right. Neighborhoods yeah. in the city. And and I I was on Post Street, so it really sort of is on the cusp. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, you know, people shooting up outside, um, gunshots, uh, prostitutes. Uh, yeah, the whole yeah. The, the homeless it's people. It's a happening neighborhood. Happening neighborhood. Um, <laughs> And I, I had a, the, this, this apartment was actually on the first floor and it didn't, it faced the interior air shaft or the space between two right. buildings. So I had two big windows and one in the kitchen, a very small kitchen and the windows faced the building opposite, right. um, which was maybe 10 or 15 feet away. Wow. So there was about 30 seconds of sun that ever came in. <laughs> yeah. How and many it, stories was the building? It was, I think, a, probably a four or six story wow. apartment building. So yeah, from like 12 p.m. to 12.04 yeah. or something. Oh, yeah. And it was just like this, this feeling of being in the bottom of a very long tube or yeah. well. I lived in um, a place like that. Too. Oh, my God. Um, <clears throat> and I was also very frustrated romantically, sexually, professionally. Um, I was working like three jobs and um, never 
felt settled and always felt like I was late for everything and mm. never felt like I had enough time to do anything and also felt like I was performing very badly at all these things at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then constantly chastising myself. Isn't uh, that a great cycle oh, to get great. caught up in? It was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Delightful. Yeah. And then I would, my dreams at night though were of like this incredible spaciousness. Wow. And, um, I realized that <laughs> this is a very bull session, 1980, <laughs> listening to Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> but I realized that like time and space are really equivalent and uh -huh. that, that the, the spatial, uh, uh, the diminishing spatial aspects of my life were completely parallel to the, the lack of time that I had to do anything Interesting. and it was completely insufferable. Yeah. And, um, uh, in order to carve out one, I had to move the other. And I finally ended up getting out of that apartment. It's probably a good start. And, it, and I was, I was resistant to doing it because it's so expensive here. And yeah, because I also felt like this uh, guilt about wanting to do it like this thing wanting like, a better place yeah or? like just this feeling of like oh i should be able to i've got two jobs i should be able to make this work what's yeah. wrong with me hmm. you know like uh you know people who have a way worse off than i do like i've got an apartment this this should be fine i should yeah. be able to i should be able to make this work and and i just spent so many years not succeeding on so many different levels and rather than changing the situation, like just punishing myself, I think psychologically yeah, sounds like more um, to make that happen. That's so, a very common thing though. I think it is. same time i remember i was reading a book on um, uh, a czech animator his name will come to me in a minute <clears throat> and and it was in the introduction it was talking about how and, and i might have this wrong I, I might be corrected here but <clears throat> in the in czechoslovakia in the days behind the iron curtain there was i think a, an official um 
genre of maybe social realism or maybe it was even abstraction like like hyper abstraction at that point um and that was sort of the official aesthetic okay choice or style that was um acknowledged allowed, allowed. Yeah. but there were these wild czech animators and puppeteers and um people who sort of came out of this weird eastern european surrealist kind of movement yeah i think i know the guy you're talking about jans funkmeyer oh, there it is me. Yeah, yeah jans funkmeyer that's uh, yep. yeah and, and <clears throat> genius it, yeah real genius and and um the 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 introduction said something to the effect that it was that kind of surrealism was actually approved of and their work was supported because despite what the official aesthetic was of, of, uh, of fine art at that time, there was also this idea that there needed to be space for indulging in that other part of yourself hmm. and that this branch of surrealism was sort of allowed to continue or supported because of that idea and they referred cool. to it as a sabbath oh really like a time away from the standard yeah. way of looking at things and i was like gosh that's really beautiful i really love that idea so that's where the concept came to you i think so uh, and you know there yeah yeah and I, just having some a jewish some jewish background sure and there's there's a great i think mark twain little short piece about sundays where it's like oh, somebody yeah. he's like contemplating how peaceful it is on this Sunday and he keeps getting interrupted by right. all these other things going I haven't on. Read that and, in ages. Um, but just, yeah, that idea is, is, and, and I remember actually we, we went to churches as kids. Um, we went to a Presbyterian church and Unitarian church. And, and I remember like what Sundays felt like, which was pretty great. Um, felt free. Like, there was something like, really nice about it. You know, like I, I think we would come back from church and we'd go and we'd get like all these, we'd get bagels and we'd get cream cheese and yeah. salmon and smoked fish and have a big sort of Sunday brunch. Nice. Watch movies. And, um, and it was very, really this beautiful idol. And, 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 um, doesn't that almost feel like a thing of the past? Like, yeah. like entirely, like entirely. it just feels like it just slipped away from us. Like that's nope, no time for that anymore. No time for nobody. That anymore. Nobody has time. Yeah. Know? Unless that's, you're orthodox of some kind. Yeah. Know? Like if it's forced, it, it's if like it's mandated. Forced, yeah. you know, and by, then, and then actually reading about, uh, and experiencing a couple Shabbat services or, um, Jewish Sabbaths in, in, in Israel and, and in the States. And, and like, there are all these just beautiful rituals and, and even the super annoying rules about what you can and can't do. They do really redirect people back to being social and to, to uh, a certain kind of quiet, which I just, I thought it was, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and if it's not told, you know, if you're not told how to do it these days, you're probably not going to find a way. You're yeah. not going to, you know, yeah. there needs to be some, I'm not saying everybody should have, you know, a, well, we don't a even have doctrine that yeah. tells them what Sundays are about, but like you're doing, you carve out your own Sabbath. Right. Well, we don't even have a workday end anymore. Right. Yeah. That can right? be stretched out as long that can as be, that can go on forever. Yeah. And the weekends and yeah. every evenings. Yeah. Well, the thing, so the thing that occurred to me, the, the most, the thing that stood out the most when you're talking about that time, like making that time for yourself and 
you know, remembering what it was like to be idle as a kid, um, the, the word that jumped out to me was carefree. Like when you're a kid, mm -hmm. you can be carefree. And as an adult, you just can't. Like just there's, can't. there's no time, there's, there's just not a time anymore for you to be carefree unless you want to be labeled, you know, a, a wreck basically by the rest of society. Right. You know, like any adult who's just doing what they want whenever they want is kind of seen it. Not, not any and all because they're not all going to be destructive. But, you know, those who people will accuse you of not growing up if you're if if you still think you can be carefree as an adult but i think we should all be allowed to we should all, all there should be a time allotted for that that's right. for our sanity you know all yeah. of us we should all be allowed i mean i think that's what the weekends are supposed to be or they were they were yeah. they're not anymore now it's like a time to catch up from all the other stuff during the week and just stress about the next week you know Totally. And I think though, though, like on a micro level, if you think about what it means to be carefree, I, I even think that as a child, you're not even thinking really about what you're going to have for dinner later. No, you're truly carefree. You don't you're care truly about anything, carefree yeah. and you're in the, in the moment. Like if you, yeah, you're very present. I mean, which is what idleness brings. That's, like what, that's, idleness that's brings. what meditation's about. That's what yeah. any sort of devoted practice is about. Yeah. It like gets you back to that presence and, and feeling alive really and being a part of the, whatever that s source of energy is. Right. Right. And, and I, and yeah, there's all sorts of practices that I think refer back to this idea. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, I think the, the difficulty is, is that the language then becomes really cliched and repetitive yeah. and yeah. we turn it stigmatized turn it stig and, yeah. and sort of like it's new yeah. agey or something. That's I don't right. want that shit. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, I, I mean, what I've found as I get older and especially as I find I have less and less time to do the things I am more and more interested in, mm -hmm. you know, like that when I was a kid, I was interested in a ton of different stuff and just thought someday I'll do all of it. You know, I'll mm -hmm. go everywhere. I'll do everything. I'll be a, I'll be a director. I'll do this. I'll do that. You know, all these different dreams I had, I'll be a vet. I'll be a, you know, I had all these <laughs> things like that. I was going to knock off the list. And, uh, as the time shrinks away and the dreams, you know, the little bubbles get burst, you you're left with, your whatever you can make of your actual reality and if you find a pursuit within that reality that's meaningful to you in my mind you have to go for it like that's your your yeah. that's what life is like you got to go get that thing whatever it is it's not a thing it's just, you know it's whatever your what drives you and um so i'm not exactly sure i was going with where oh but <clears throat> as as i get older and i see like well, there's, I'm definitely not going to live forever. Like I thought I might when I was 18 <laughs> or, you know, and, uh, and I know I have this many things to do basically all the time, you know, like this, this much of the day is eaten up guaranteed every day. And then I have this much left to work with. And you see those days getting knocked down and weeks and years and, and it's all feels like it's going faster and people talk about it feeling like it's going faster so it feels even more you know yeah it just everything feels like it's accelerating and it's almost like idleness is just a like it's 
it just got it's kind of like arts in in school it's like sorry yeah. we got to cut it we don't we can't fit the budget anymore right so we just right. took it out of life like we don't that's not something we think of having anymore or feel entitled to in any way and that's dangerous i think uh, if you think you just have to be busy all the time that's bad news yeah and people don't even seem very resistant no and i don't idea yeah and yeah even if it's something they don't like doing they they sign up for doing it for decades or like you know like that's yeah i don't know i think it's i think the focus has gone quite far off of course and it's not like a lot of the things people are doing are actually of real value most most work (laughs) is not yeah yeah. and i think they would admit that too and they like most people most companies know that like we have these whole divisions of people that are just kind of pushing papers around and don't you know the same work could be done with with less and someday it will it'll just be robots so we can all say goodbye we're not gonna have more idle time no no no. we that's That's the the thing yeah we thought we thought that's was the whole point of technology you know we're going to create all this ease and uh convenience and so we'll just be able to sit back and and let it happen for us and instead it's made us more wired like more on edge about uh, well now we gotta you know it it takes two days when you do, you know, the shipping takes two days. I don't know if I can wait that. I got to do one day shipping. I got, you know, right. I got to do overnight. I got, I can't wait. No, I got to do one hour. I need one hour delivery, yeah. you know, and there's, suddenly that's too long. There's a, uh, I can't remember what it is, but there's a description for sort of late model capitalism, like, like what people experience generally is just, it's the age of anxiety. Is that what it is? That's what it's certainly just like that, like the 19th century and in, in like the mid middle industrial period. It was, it was, they called that pain. the age of, age of anxiety. No. Oh, okay. Ours now is the age, yeah, age yeah. of anxiety. I think before it was like the age of um, discomfort or the age of pain. I see. Um, and, and that the general population suffered from want and there, there was another word for it. I can't remember it, but like the, yeah, the contemporary, yeah, we are anxiety, anxiety for sure. And it's yeah. shown up in very young people, yeah. which is concerning. Yeah. You, know? you start to see kids being anxious about oh, stuff. Yeah. That's when you know something's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we were just talking about, that wasn't our experience. We were kids and we were even if all this stuff was going on around us, yeah. We were able to check out from it and just be in our own world. And I don't know that that exists for modern day kids so much. They're kind of always there's just tapped in yeah there's always this incredible Mm self-consciousness which is i think the opposite of idleness right like to be yeah i guess it is yeah i never thought of it that way but that's that's kind of true like if you're just constantly like running through the what what you think needs to be changed about something that is pretty much the opposite or what people expect from you yeah yeah and when yeah if you could really just be cool with what is I mean, I think that's what basically everyone is trying to do, and nobody's nobody's <laughs> succeeding. You know, that's why. And and there are more and more ideas about how it should be done. You know, all the time there are more books and more, you know, TED yeah. talks and more. Right, you know, there's like right. podcasts about health and wellness, and you know, here million, we are. <laughs> yeah, a million different ways, like prescriptions for it. But who has the like? Who of those people is actually authentically feeling? 
not anxious and actually, ha- I mean, there must be some, I'm sure there. Or it's like, to what degree is it like, maybe you can satisfy a, a lapse right away from that for a well, after your yoga class. That's a good point. I mean, I think that, or... I think the lapse has a lot to do with it, with anything, with any sort of, you know, discipline. If you take time away from it, it's going to very quickly unravel into not yeah. a disciplined practice. So yeah. I think like, I think with any of that spiritual stuff, anything that's going to like for self help, self care, you do need to keep it up all the time or, or, or it'll just slip right back into your default, yeah. which is like, I don't really like myself that much because when I was a kid, somebody told me I was a piece of shit and I believed it. <laughs> and I've been carrying that for 40 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we need, the constant reminder in some, in whatever way. So maybe that's why you must do whatever that thing is for you, whether it's yoga or this or that, you know, and so many people don't have that thing or they're resistant to it. So they look for their own thing and it's usually a self-destructive like alternative. It's not not like TV or gambling or shopping or drugs or sex or whatever. So, but isn't it interesting that like basically what we all want is just to be, okay we just want to be okay with who i am and where i am yeah so if we all just yeah. got that memo we just leave each other alone a bit more and stop judging and stop uh, like yeah, getting yeah. each other's faces about stuff and you know but i think that every every mechanism in our society works against that yeah because you can't commodify that you can't yeah, if you, if you write a book it about it yeah so all right so how <laughs> that's an <laughs> If commodification is the goal, which it seems to be for most everything these days, how do you, how can you combat that? Like, how do how can we as a society m- move away from that, or or just start to see a different way? Because it's clearly we're running ourselves into a a pretty ugly situation with this materialistic, capitalistic, you know, just greed focused obsession so that's the the big question yeah how do we get out how do we snap out of it the human race or how does an individual live amidst that and still maintain their sanity if they don't believe in it or don't want to participate in it yeah i don't know i think it's it is actually it is these these maybe the only hope we have right now is these little ways of resisting it you mm-hmm. know, these micro creating your own sabbath creating your own sabbath like during an the escape day. from the i mean yeah i mean how do you not participate or further any of that it's it's uh, yeah that's a really tough question that we we're all asking all the time right so, but we're in this like yeah. it, it seems to me and you know i'm sure well, everything I think or see or say is coming out of my set of filters and my, yeah. you know, my experience. So I never, I'm never trying to speak for everyone, but, um, but it does seem to me that in recent and very recent times, like the last couple of years, roughly, there's just been this insane acceleration of, of the anxiety and <clears throat> this sort of like this frantic energy of like, what do we do? What do we do? We're all, nobody knows how to get out of this. What are we going to do? But there are no answers. So we go back to our, mm-hmm. you know, diversions, I guess, or back to our, like right. telling ourselves it's going to be okay. I hope it's going to be okay. I, I'm right. still lost and scared and confused, but 
we're all in it together, right? Uh, <laughs> even though it never feels like that anymore because yeah. people are so individualistic and right. you know out for themselves. Right. And I heard something recently that actually really helped me. It was on, um, on another podcast by one of these sort of guru types who actually seems like she's got her shit together and is you know she actually is that calm and, yeah, and yeah. collected. Um, but she said that every single human is every single one of us is wired to think of ourselves first it's a biological thing like we're we're actually designed that way for our own survival and hearing it that you know definitively to me was like oh all right well that's sort of i i can give a little bit more leeway to selfish people they're not being selfish because they're assholes they're being selfish because hmm. they can't help it they're trying to get their needs met you know and I know that on, a, on an intellectual level already, but in practice, I'm terrible with that stuff. I'm just such a, you know, I'm just... With anger? Well, just like if I see somebody misbehaving by my standards, you know, or being inconsiderate or mean or whatever, I'll, I just, something f flies up. And some, it's sometimes rage, it's sometimes sadness, it's sometimes just like, I just want it to stop. I just want to put an end to that sort of behavior. Yeah. And I can't, so I get, you know, frustrated and I probably just internalize it and get, you know, I'm di directing this anger at no one, um, or it's just so generalized that it's not really, it's not meaningful anymore. It just, it only hurts me. students at the beginning of the semester they they actually uh fill out this timesheet where they try to figure out how many hours per week um are dedicated to any singular task so it's like how many hours a week do you sleep how many hours a week do you eat how okay. many hours a week do you uh, have to go to class do you do your job do you study do you do your homework do you do the work outside of class how many hours a week do you play video games how many hours a week do you socialize and trying to break it down into these ridiculous things and then it's like waste time you know uh, whatever blow things off uh, uh -huh. um, and so that they they try to come out with a, an idea of how many hours a week are left unaccounted for and always during the beginning of the semester 
they're always at a deficit. I think there's like 167 hours in a week or something. I don't remember what it is. Uh-huh. But they're but 24 almost, times. Yeah, seven. they're they're uh, there's always almost every student's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm only working. I'm, I only have seven eighths of my week filled with things to do. Right. And I'm always like, that's not true. And there'd be one or two students who are like, wow, I'm overbooked. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that you're looking at your life realistically. Yeah. You're doing nine eighths. Yes, whatever. you're doing nine eighths, and that's probably how much time you have left over is, is zero. And that's an eighteen year old or whatever. Yeah. That's insanity. Like yeah. That. So they never they skipped right over the idle time. There's no idle time. Yeah. And, and Shit, kids just don't get it anymore. You get a phone instead. You get Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. They're just they're there. There's this other thing that um, the non traditional student. Okay. That used to be, you know, the traditional student is the the kid who's going to school full time and takes four or five classes and lives in a dorm. Mm-hmm. And um, so that used to be most of the, I think the college at least, it, certainly in in my school, the school that I work for. But actually, the non traditional student is now the norm, the norm. Mm-hmm. and that's the student with the family or the student with the full-time job or the student who's just out of the military or the wow. student with and they're just taking like one or two classes like whatever they can squeeze uh, in yeah or they're taking a full load and working full and time, working full-time wow you know and just going crazy so. yeah it's nuts <laughs> yeah um well i'm looking at the time here okay i think we're i would like to keep talking because i feel like we we only scratched a few surfaces but um is there anything? Do you have any other? Do you have any burning desires? Do you have any sort of? No, this was things? great. I, I'm. I, there are. I mean, the, the, the. I think that um, the talk about idleness and the talk about, I, I, in the in the writing I do, there are always characters trying to find that. Mm-hmm. There are always characters who are caught in a fugue state or. Um, enchanted by a nuanced peculiar beam of light and it's always inexplicable and it's always transcendent and it's always completely commonplace but they're they're, my characters are often always trying to find that blissful little fragment somewhere that's cool so i didn't even ask you about your writing you write fiction i do yeah Uh, exclusively or or uh actually no i i i right now i'm writing fiction exclusively but i have a lot i have a lot of nonfiction that i just publish on a blog and kind of leave it out in the wind to flap around all right i'm interested Um, in that uh and uh and your fiction what's your i mean you just told me what the central theme of I think that's so, a sort of incidental theme that okay. that, that like I can't that that's it just, just isn't comes gonna up. come up because it's true it's, to it's all true humans. to my experience and, and yeah. yeah and and I I have a lot of short fiction that's about Pittsburgh where I grew up oh cool um, and sort of the the decline of the Rust Belt and uh, about these ecumenical communities that I grew up around that were a lot of Jews and a lot of Catholics and a lot of you know, uh, academics and, um, and also my mother's working class roots that come out of Detroit mm-hmm. sort of seeing that part of the country as actually this bizarre mix of values and, um, this sense of almost, uh, 
communistic entitlement to culture that I kind of grew up with. It might have been growing up in the 70s, but there was a real sense that art and culture and the 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 glossier parts of civilization were entitled huh. things okay. yeah. to the working class or to a working class city. Um, and 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 certainly like this optimism about a um, a post-racial future, you mm. know, that I think a lot of people who grew up in the 70s might have had just after yeah. the busing began. And there was sort of, you look at advertising for that period and it was really optimistic and forward-looking. And even though there were, uh, you know, so many horrible things going on and just coming out of so many horrible things. and um, But it was, there was a sense that we would get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some TV shows and stuff yeah. that were starting to reflect that. Like yeah. some, some, you'd start to see mixed races and commercials and things that, right. that later went away. Went and, away, yeah. And then came back. But. Yeah, I even heard that, that incidentally, the, the busing was really successful for African Americans, that it actually like really contributed to social mobility oh really being, yeah it actually did or it that really was the, did oh, okay yeah, huh. uh, I, I i'd like to find the <clears throat> that that book but um so your so your stories are largely set that, in pittsburgh i have a not necessarily autobiographical but no, just drawing from drawing from, from yeah, that stuff. yeah. And, my dad would argue with that but okay um <laughs> <laughs> is there sort of a central theme with the protagonists or, or no. have you noticed any sort of thing that you like to lean into? I, I, or I'm sure there are. I'm, I, I think that, um, again, like this, this attempt at, at finding, uh, in, in, in someone's own, so to speak, backyard, finding transcendence or finding beauty. And, mm. and I think that's one of the, central themes of realism really is sort of to try to find the extraordinary and the ordinary. And right. I think there's a lot of that in my, my work as well. Um, and then I have a novel that's set in the 1930s and it's sort of a picaresque Don Quixote story about a, um, a, uh, lobbyist for the national child labor committee who goes around the country and takes photographs of children working to, uh, build legislation to improve the conditions of working children is is befriended by a very cynical sort of nihilist uh, sailor. Okay. Um, and uh, and then I have a I'm currently working on a novel about about actually Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh the the neighborhood I grew up in and it's about some of the low end um, uh, racketeers and uh, cool. people in the, in my neighborhood. Oh, so, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So the one, what's the the novel? You have one that's published. It is not published. Okay. Hello. It's, it's finished, but I, you it want to finish. I've I've what's struggled it, to. Do you have a working title? It, it is. It's called the Last Survey. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, Listen uh, up, people. Yeah, we're is, we're trying. And where could where? I mean, I I'll plug all of your stuff for you, but um, I have there's... a blog that's. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> we can look it up. It's a JF Seidel at blogspot.com. I think it's okay. it's titled um, Where the Weather Suits My Clothes. Okay. Um, the, from the Blues Idiom. Um, and I, I write about uh, the interlace between art and thinking and culture. This idea that art isn't something that sort of sits outside of our experience, but actually reflects it and something we can comes use to talk about it, it and, and comes from it and we yeah. can use it to talk about experience cool 
That's great. That's yeah. that's what the blog's about yeah. primarily. Oh, mm-hmm. Cool. I'm yeah. gonna read some of that. Cool. Thanks. And then the other ones are like short fiction pieces. That I just have. have I have a story that was in uh, Glimmer Chain magazine a number of years ago called Insurance, and it's very much within the sort of canon of the the work that I've done about Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. And you're moving back there soon. I I'm hear. moving back there in three months. Is that partly to work on? The novel, or is uh, it's, it for different it's, reasons. It's uh, out of love. Stuff? I love okay. it there. Okay. Um, and uh, my wife is uh, originally from Miami, and she loves it there too. And we decided to make a go for it and move back and um, uh, sort of be a part of uh, that community again. And there's a bit of a renaissance there is it happening. Well, we right? don't we don't want to tell anyone. Okay. We don't want too many people <laughs> Sorry. getting wind of it. I'll edit that um, but yeah. <laughs> no, don't, but, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's, there is, but it's also, I, I feel like a lot of the things that people think about it as, as very surprising about the city and have been things that have been true about it for just decades and mm-hmm. decades you and always decades. Knew. Yeah. And everyone has always known. And, um, it's just been overlooked. It's been overlooked, okay. and and maybe that, Philadelphia took the took more of the spotlight or oh, something. God bless Philadelphia, man. I, I love Philadelphia. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And it's totally different. It's too. very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very different feeling and very different part of the part of Pennsylvania. And um, but you know, both places like yeah, it's it's great to see both of them get some attention. But as I said. You know, stay um, out. Don't don't want too much. Yeah, don't move there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are other places. Go to Cincinnati. That's right. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming. Uh, it's you're it's really great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, I'll see you soon. Maybe I'll see you on that side of the country. I hope so. I'd love to come so. visit. You're welcome to. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, That's my friend Jim. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, If you are a publisher and want to get in touch with Jim because you think his novel sounds awesome and you want to publish it, then uh, get in touch with me and I'll pass it along. Um, And let's see. Oh, that uh, the David Foster Wallace commencement speech that Jim mentioned in this in our conversation is pretty amazing. Um, I went and listened to the whole thing and it's, it's awesome. It's like some of the best advice you could possibly give a young person as they're entering the world. Um, so I highly recommend that it's very easy to find. Um, and here's another thing I got to talk about. Um, I generally try to keep aside from what comes up in the conversations, I try to keep politics, um, pretty far away from this, this whole show um, because I think there are enough places where people can find it and a lot of it's quite ugly. I don't like talking about it mostly because it's, because it's ugly. It's just terrible stuff. Um, And we're experiencing quite a bit of that right this moment in history. Um, There's very clearly an assault on women and women's rights. Um, I don't know what the fuck, pardon my language, uh, men think they're doing right now at least the ones who are in charge and writing the laws. Um, it blows my mind. It's just, I mean, it 
seems like it can't get worse and then it gets way worse and just worse and worse again. So um, this stuff that's going on right now with abortion rights is just unbelievably horrific. Um, I know so many women who have been traumatized in so many different ways by men and the fact that they have to relive this shit again and again and again throughout their lives is bad enough. It's It should not be that way. And the fact that it is, is awful. And um, But on top of that, there's this, uh, this just endless, endless bullshit that's being passed down again and again and again. I can't, I just can't stand it. It's awful. You guys got to cut it out, you pieces of shit out there who are treating women badly and somehow think you have rights over their bodies. Um, you do not. Uh, I, as a younger man, did things I'm not proud of. I, I wish I could take back uh, stupid or drunken or stupid drunken or it just things uh, naive. I was ignorant of what my behavior was, um, of the, some of the harm that it could be having on on women specifically on people in general i mean i i went through phases where i was incredibly unhappy and incredibly confused about who i was and what i was supposed to be doing and i acted out in ways that i like i said i'm not proud of them and i'm working my way through my list of amends and new amends are still popping up uh, they're things that i didn't even remember doing that are um coming back to me and I'm, you know, I'm actually grateful for that because I can work through some of this shit and help, you know, try try to um, reach out to people and apologize, do what I can to fix whatever was broken, um, and and move forward, and also try to help other men learn how to not to be such dicks. Uh, it's uh, it's hard when you're being taught bad behavior. And thinking that's the that's the right way to to act. Um, often it's the the people behaving the worst who are getting the attention. So when you're young and impressionable and you know looking for um, looking for any kind of acknowledgement or approval, you get sucked into these really shitty uh, behaviors and situations. So anyway, I don't want to go on and on about that, but. Uh, I do think that this these topics need to be talked about and um I think that men need to stop doing what they're doing and learn from others' mistakes and stop making those same mistakes again um so I have the names of a few places that you can donate money that will help women in need uh in these specifically in the states that where some of these unbelievably stupid and archaic laws are being passed, um, or at least in the regions. And um, so if you are a person or know a person in need, um, please check out one of these places. And if you're someone who has some extra money to give or time or whatever, um, or if you can just pass this information along too, that would be great. these are things that I got from a friend, and I'm going to just read the names, and then you can go look them up, please. Uh, one of them, first one is called the National Network of Abortion Funds, NNAF. It's a network of more than 80 funds in at least 38 states that seeks to eliminate economic barriers for low-income individuals seeking an abortion. 
the next is the Yellow Hammer Fund. It's based in Alabama. Um, oh man, I feel I feel for the women of Alabama right now. Uh, move if you can, get out of there. But if you can't, then go find one of these places. Uh, Yellowhammer not only provides funding for abortions at one of the day one of the city's three clinics, but also helps with other barriers to access patients. To access patients may face such as travel or lot. Uh, that seems like it should say something else. Um, to, <clears throat> I think you get the point. Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, uh, run entirely by volunteers, helps people access abortion. Um, and provides both support and resources to parents. Uh, the next is called Women Have Options. This Ohio-based organization provides financial assistance and support to low-income patients seeking reproductive care, abortion, in, excuse me, abortion included. And last one I have here is the National Asian Pacific Americans Women Forum, N-A-P-A-W-F. It's a multi-issue community organizing and policy advocacy organization that fights for policy change that would benefit women, transgender, and non-binary Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Okay, so there's just a handful of places where you could, um, you know, lend support, which will thereby lend support to women in need. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on. I mean, I do. This country uh, is has run amok. Our government is out of control. Um, if you want to see what happens when uh, to unwanted children. Look at the uh, look at the leaders of today, most of them, not all, but most of the uh, the people who the so-called elected officials in this country, at least, uh, the ones making these laws, <clears throat> uh, they're so deluded and blind to the fact that they're causing way more harm than good. Uh, I don't know if it's their, you know, religious morality or what you know. I don't know what it is that's causing these people to act this way but um it's horrific and we got to fight against it so um if you are one of those people stop it if you are against people doing that kind of shit rise up it's time uh i love you all i'll see you next week bye